Uh, well, we're selling out every show, which has been great. Right. And um, different feel, different vibe. Um, people are older. Right. <laughs> Some of the people. I, my audience has always been pretty varied age-wise. Right. Um, but the older fans are older. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's been because I started in 1981. Right. So um, people who were 10 years older than me are now in their 70s. I remember I'm, I'm from Rochester, New York. I remember seeing you in a little place called Scorgies. Yeah, I remember Scorgies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a long, strange trip indeed. Um, so with this album sounding in a way it does, what kind of band or, or thing are you doing touring with? Is it a- I have a string quartet. Upright bass, piano, right, uh, and accordion. My piano play, player does accordion as well. Uh, electric and acoustic guitars. Backing vocalist. It's a big group. There's right, group ten people out here. Very good. So you, the album is called "Keep Your Courage." It came out uh, just a little while ago, and it's your first studio album in a while. Um, Apart from the touring part of be, really, uh, what is releasing a record like in this environment these days? How has it changed in your perspective since the last time you did this? Well, uh, the last time I did this was in 2015, I think, uh, of a, an album of all original material. Right. But I put out a 10 disc box set back in 2018. 2017, along with an, an album of, um, it was half original new stuff and half revisitations. Right. So I've been putting things out, um, but I haven't toured much. I think that's the big difference. And less and less people buy albums every time that's I go out. I mean, we've really transitioned to a streaming audience yeah. for the most part. But we did a vinyl version. It ended up being a double album. With so, some bonus material. So that, that was interesting, designing right. for a, an, an LP, which I haven't done in decades. Gotcha. So uh, when you're making this record, are you thinking in terms of how people are going to be listening to it, how they possibly will be streaming instead of putting it on their turntable or sticking a CD player in the car? Mm, I didn't think about that, but I think my mixer was very aware of the different um, technologies that people would be using because it sounds, this album sounds amazing coming out of an iPhone speaker. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little uncanny. Right. It sounds amazing coming through a high end, um, like a hi fi system, but also he managed to make it sound great coming. I mean, if you listen to Tower of Babel, you can't believe that much sound can come out of one of those tiny speakers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the album as a whole, it, feels like a whole when did it start coming together when did you have the, the when did it coalesce as far as in your mind as what this record was going to be well i started writing um right right around the time uh i i should probably look at a calendar and figure out when i started writing because i'm trying to wing it and it <laughs> You know, the, the whole pandemic years are really blurry. Yes, they are. <laughs> when when did the pandemic start? That was um, 2020. 2020, right? 2020, yeah. Early, right. March, so 2020. in 2019, around Christmas, 
my spine collapsed and I spent the the month of January in agony. Um, by February, I was having emergency cervical spine surgery. Um, I spent the first two months of the lockdown in a neck brace with no follow-up treatment. So um, then I lost my voice, couldn't use my right hand. Oh, so by the time 2001 came around, I could play the piano again and I could sing again. I think that's when I started writing. Right. So what that must have been fairly traumatic going through all that stuff in 2020, thinking that, I mean, you probably had no idea where this was all going. So kind of what was going through your mind? Um, I was grateful to have had the surgery before. Yeah. I couldn't imagine going through, I honestly couldn't imagine going through that full year when, quote, elective surgery was not happening. Right. I couldn't have gone through it in that pain. So right. I felt really blessed that I found a phenomenal surgeon and, and I, I was able to, uh, the surgeon actually um, came into my room the morning after the surgery and said, I know you're supposed to stay here for three days, but I'm sending you home today. This entire country is about to go into lockdown. He knew because the hospital where I had the surgery became one of the biggest COVID hospitals in Manhattan. Um, so yeah, I felt lucky. And the writing, I, I wasn't really writing an album when I started writing. I was just writing to um, maintain my sanity more than anything and, and celebrate having, you know, I always play the piano and sing at home. Sure. whether I'm writing songs or not. And to, to have that taken away for nearly a year was um, was very sad. Yeah. Now, the album opens with two tracks that feature you and another singer whose name is, right. uh, I believe. Abana. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Abana Clemson Davis. Tell me why you made that decision and how the two of you work together. Well, I met Abana... Um, in 2018, there was a midterm election and we were strongly supporting a congressional candidate, a young black um, politician named Antonio Delgado. And we invited the, the organization that I was a member of, um, was trying to get out the vote for him. So we invited Abana's chorus to come up, the resistance arrival chorus. They came up to... Um, upstate New York and we did this concert and I was just blown away by her energy. She's very much music to her as a tool uh, for in drawing people together of um, celebrating. And it's just, uh, it's about community for her. And I feel the same way. So we, we connected on that. Mm. And I just told her if I, if I wrote a couple songs, would you consider recording one day and then all that other stuff happened <laughs> the right. health crisis and the the lockdown the the pandemic and so we had to wait a, a few years to be able to do it mm. and so what kind of discussion did you have about how you wanted her to sing or what you wanted her to sing and how your voices work together uh basically i sent her a demo and she came up with what she wanted to sing based on what was on the demo uh -huh. and uh, 
and and we just did it. It was very spontaneous <laughs> when it came time to be in the studio. Right. Now, uh, those two tracks are followed by one that I find particularly interesting, Sister Tilly, who mm-hmm. uh, you managed to mention Joan Didion and Led Zeppelin in the same. And, and really, that. that's and fascinating Jones. right then. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's, it's almost like a suite within a suite musically. Uh, can you enlighten it has three distinctive parts, and, and it does have a, a time signature shift, which I, I don't think I've ever done that in a song before. Uh, it goes from 3-4 four to 4-4. Four, four. And is Sister Tilly kind of a composite character? Yeah, she's many of the women that I've known over the years who's in the generation, previous generation. And we're losing those women. And the um, the fact that Joan Didion died the week that I did the vocal for the song mm-hmm. also caused me to want to dedicate the album to her. Had you ever met her? No, I never met Joan Didion. And there's one cover on the album uh, by a gentleman named Ian Lynch, who's an Irish musician. So it's interesting that you managed to even find another song from someone else to fit with your songs. How did that come about? Well, it was strange. I had no intention of actually putting that on the album. It was kind of an exercise that we were doing in the studio. Um. I love the song and I I just wanted to teach it to my guitar player. So we were messing around with it and then everyone just uh, fell in love with the song. So we started playing it and we just ran the tape. So then every time another group of musicians came, whether it was string players or brass or woodwinds, we would add another track and another layer and another layer and another layer. And in the end, it sounded so great. I decided to put it on the album. So, so what's been the the reaction from fans from has 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 it been taken the way you want it to be when 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 you're performing these songs are people kind of connecting with them yeah it's yeah. it's the first album that I've done that when I play the material for the first time people aren't um looking impatient like they're waiting <laughs> for, when you're going to play the songs we know right give us the stuff we know natalie um right. People are kind of awed by the new material. And I think the way that we're presenting it with the string quartet, the dynamic range of the songs is really broad, but many of the songs have long sections of very hushed um, dynamics. It's It's just you can really hear the storytelling in the vocal. Right. And then... They, most of the songs will build and then return to that um, quiet place where they can really hear the the narrative that I'm telling them. Right. And speaking of your vocal, so does your uh, approach to your singing change when you're singing behind sc- strings and things instead of uh, the general bass guitar and drums? That Well, I've been singing with symphonic instruments pretty exclusively since 2008. Uh-huh. Uh, and I didn't bring a drummer on tour with me for at least 12 years. Ah. So this is sort of where I'm, this is my comfort zone. This is where I'm used to working. The fact that I have a drummer on this tour has been unusual. Most of the touring I've done the last six years has just been with my acoustic guitar player. Just the two of us, we do a duo and we, we're really stealth. We can go anywhere we want. 
which I love. We toured England in the summer of 2018, and we just played places I wanted to see. Right. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> like, I'd like to go to Yorkshire and the Lake right. District, so let's just book some gigs. It right. was a working holiday, basically. Have you been to New Zealand much or ever? I've only been to New Zealand once, and I had a, a really lovely time. And I'd like to come back. I don't know if I could bring this massive right. 20-headed monster that I have out on, on tour right now with two trucks and two buses and all right. that. But, but might, be, um, might be a good place for a stealth tour, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are you thinking about what you're planning on doing next musically now that you got this kind of you're back into it now that this record's been out for a week uh yep, now that yes exactly right <laughs> <laughs> i have a lot of projects actually going on i need to clone myself right now i've i was appointed to the library of congress um american folklife center uh-huh. and we're having our uh 50th anniversary in 2026 and i'm really interested in a project um to find songs within the archive and um, record them with children. Right. Uh, games and songs. So that's something I'm doing research for. I'm doing a project with the Chicago Symphony and the Chicago Children's Theater of a group of songs that I wrote while I, I spent two years volunteering with a low-income preschool that was run by Head Start. I right. did that three days a week, and I wrote a handful of songs for kids that um, – the Chicago Symphony is interested in orchestrating and recording, which would be really fun. I've been going to Italy pretty frequently, working with an Italian band on a project of adaptations of a Italian poet. Right. So um, you got a lot on your plate. Lots of things going on. Yeah, I'm trying to. I have a lot of folders. Right. <laughs> on top of my piano right now. Right. But it's all really fascinating and, and fun stuff. And I've always wanted to speak Italian and tour Italy. And so this is going to give me, I always think about the thing I'd actually like to do for fun. And then if music can help me achieve that goal, then it's like, mm-hmm. I love working with children and music is a really wonderful sure. tool to use when you're, you're working with kids. Yeah. 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 And are you much of a political animal? Do you, does the stuff that's swirling around, especially in the States, affect you and how you're feeling about making music? Uh, it infuriates me most of the time and confuses <laughs> right. me. Um, I think my work with Head Start was a response to, to Trump in a way because it felt so overwhelming that I thought... Uh, I, I don't know where to begin. So maybe the thing to do is to focus on my community and try to do good, a tangible bit of good right right here and now. And um, I think that those early influences in um, those primary influences in early childhood are so formative. And uh, to be honest, um, it was also a response to the Black Lives Matter movement because of the kids that I worked with were children of color. Mm. And I really felt like um, if I want to demonstrate how much I believe black lives matter, I, I should, um, I I should devote myself to spending time with these children and, and um, sharing, sharing what I can with them, you know, making them feel as special 
and as treasured as they deserve to be. Because I don't think the public school system really does that in America. Right. I mean, I, it's not that I don't think, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the experiences that I was able to give those kids in preschool, a lot of their parents came up to me at the culminating event and said, uh, it's likely my kid will never be in a play of this quality ever again. Or you know, bringing instruments into the classroom, violins and upright bass and clarinet and concertina. Yep. It was it was an amazing uh, experience for me to see the way the kids responded to instruments that they many of those instruments they'd never been in the same room with. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck with the tour. And uh, hope yeah, to see I, you I think I have to go to sound check.